You're listening to the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your host, Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. Serving USA. You'll catch a serving at my firecrackers it's a fourth of july yankee poonie dandy what's going up (laughs) fourth of july what's going up what is that well i was gonna say what's burning up but you know what's going up are the roman candles man it's a fourth of july uh spectacular around here at grown-up rock do you like my new name for you yankee poonie dandy i like that you would I'm not a fireworks guy. Are you a fireworks guy? <laughs> no, because whenever there are fireworks around, I usually manage to burn myself. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a fireworks guy. We've had bad luck with other people in fireworks, so we just kind of stay away from it. Yeah, so here's an interesting story I'll share, and I'll save all the names to protect the innocent, uh, but actually, I'm the only guilty one, so I'm such an idiot around fireworks. There was a situation where I was required to hand out sparklers, the most non-lethal firework there is, I think, in my opinion, you know. Well, yeah, two-year-olds use it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. There's your first problem. I'm one, so you gave me a two-year-old device. There you go. So I had to hand out sparklers, and in my best interest, because I'm kind of a, uh, I like to do things efficiently. 
I tried to light a bunch of sparklers at one time so that I could hand them out quickly. And I didn't realize that they would flame up as quick as they would. So they flamed up really quick and burned the living shit out of my hand. Luckily, I took care of it quickly. And I mean, I burned my fingers pretty severely. But honestly, today, you really can't tell. I mean, they're slightly scarred in certain places if you know where to look for it. But I didn't go to the hospital or anything. I just wrapped them in gauze and played through the pain, baby. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, like the big fireworks are illegal around here anyway. And then like after the Oakland fires and all that kind of stuff in the nineties, just fireworks in general, I just don't get it. I don't get why people go to the park and watch things like blow up in the air. It just never did anything for me. I like a good fireworks display, like a professional one, but as far as being involved with setting them off and stuff, I stopped doing that when I burned my hands. <laughs> you and I both know that I need all my digits so I can count up. <laughs> that doesn't even help because you got to know what's past three first. Well, I got five fingers on each hand and five toes on each foot. That makes 20. But you got to be able to count to 20. I can count to 20. I just can't count past 20, doofus. You can't fix stupid. Stupid is forever. All right, so listen, this episode, as we know, is going to be released on the 4th of July. And so I said, why not focus on fireworks and American rock and roll? So that's what this episode is all about. We're keeping it Yankee Doodle Dandy for those of you that are stars and stripes uh, forever. Yeah, we were thinking about doing like songs about flags or independence or some patriotic theme, but... It's like, eh, let's just talk about a few American bands instead. It's funner. Yeah, and I'm sure we won't be the only podcast that has something to do with the 4th of July. And truthfully, when I started thinking about it, we really don't do that many holiday-themed episodes. We did the heart episode on Valentine's Day, and we've done a couple of Halloween things. But other than that, I don't remember that we've done too much else regarding a holiday. Yeah, I think we did something around Christmas, but I don't think it was around Christmas music. I don't think we ever do anything on Thanksgiving. Uh, no, New Year's. I think we did a New Year's thing once. Well, we definitely do like New Year's resolutions and things like that. We've done a few of those. Uh, so if you want to count those, sure. But other than that, hey, it just depends. We don't always look ahead. We kind of sometimes bank two or three episodes and we're not really sure exactly, you know, we don't necessarily think, hey, this is coming out on this day. But with this episode in particular, we said, hey, this is going to release on the 4th of July because that falls on a Sunday, which is our release date. Why not make it uh, patriotic themed? So it's all about American rock and roll, right? That is correct. And uh, for those listeners that are worried about what the historic moment's going to be today, I promise you it'll be safe. <laughs> yeah anyway <laughs> <It's> a, <laughs> that's a story for another that's day. a story for another day we'll get into that but hey before we go too deep into this patriotic episode you know we got to do this it's time for the crank it up new music spotlight all right, so tonight's Crank It Up New Music Spotlight is sponsored by our friends at Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming, because quite frankly, you and I both know your balls will thank you. 
And we trust our sponsor, Manscaped, the best for men's below-the-waist grooming to take care of us. Manscaped offers precision engineering tools for your family jewels, baby. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the Lawnmower 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with their family jewels with this exclusive offer just for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the promo code ROCK and ROLL at manscaped.com. Again, that promo code ROCK and ROLL at manscaped.com. Check out some of these killer features. Manscaped engineered the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and an incredibly comfortable grooming experience. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. You know what I'm talking about. Thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. This upgraded trimmer includes a multifunctional on-off switch that can engage a travel lock just in case you're traveling. It also gives you the ability to turn on the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when you need a more precise shave, I guess, in the dark. The Lawnmower 4.0 even allows you to customize your trim with the additional guard links, which are sizes 1 through 4. Did I mention wireless charging? The new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction, which can help battery length last longer. Oh, and it's waterproof, so you can use it in the shower all you want. Boom! Pick up one of these today. I used mine today, and I promise you, your partner and your balls will thank you. So, get 20% off plus free shipping with promo code ROCKANDROLL at manscaped.com today. Stop being a dirty, dirty boy. All right, so getting into tonight's Crank It Up New Music Spotlight. We're going to feature a band that we've featured, I think, once before. I kind of discovered them through Spotify. They're called John Diva and the Rockets of Love. And they released a new album this year, amply titled American Amadeus. So goes along with the theme. Check out Voodoo, Sex, and Vampires. Because who doesn't love all three of those? Voodoo, Sex, and Vampires. I do. Enjoy.
Okay, Mr. Diva here. I know he's a California boy, but I think I like the pace of the music better than I actually like the vocalist. It had a stone. This song has a Stones feel to me. Does it? Yeah. I don't know if I caught the Stones feel to it. So I'll say this. I like the last record a little bit better than I like this record. This record has some good stuff on it. I like the Bling Bling Marilyn, which I think we was the first single they released, and we featured that ages ago before the record came out. This record, I think, was released in January. It's got some good stuff on it. If you enjoyed that song or any of the other ones we've played from John Diva and the Rockets of Love, go check out the records because I think that you would enjoy the rest of it if you enjoyed any of that. If you don't enjoy it, then you're probably not going to enjoy the records. But American Amadeus, like Sonny said, John Diva was born and raised in San Diego, so he's an American-born kid. Just check it out. They're a fun band. They put out some good rock and roll. I like it. I appreciate it. So there you go. John Diva and the Rockets of Love. That song was called Voodoo, Sex, and Vampires from the American Amadeus record. This August will rock as Rockin' Pod returns to Nashville. This annual convention brings together rock artists, fans, and podcasters for an unforgettable rock experience. Meet Billy Sheehan, Ron Keel, Ricky Rackman, Mark Goodman, Matt Pinfield, Don Jameson of That Metal Show, drum legends Carmine Apice and Vinny Apice, along with current and former members of Winger, LA Guns, Except, Roxy Blue, and more. Panels, signing sessions, and vinyl and memorabilia vendors, all available to you at Rockin' Pod. Music podcasters from all over North America will be appearing on site for live interviews, networking, and speaking sessions. Got a music podcast? Register and join us. Rockin' Pod Weekend kicks off with a pre-party concert featuring former Tesla guitarist Tommy Skeo and his new band Resist and Bite. Plus, Ron Keel Acoustic, Rock United, and a rare hair set featuring many surprise guests. Rockin' Pod Weekend, August 6th through the 8th in Nashville, Tennessee. Tickets, VIP, podcaster registration, and discounted hotel rooms are available now at rockandpod.com. Rockin' Pod, brought to you by DBG Productions, Brad Lee Entertainment, and Incaptia. So getting started with the episode, are you a barbecue hangout with family, friends, person on July 4th? I am, but can we go a little bit deeper into the word barbecue? Because what I'm finding is that people's definition of barbecue can differ around different parts of the country. What is your definition of a barbecue? What does If somebody says, hey, Sonny, we'd like you to come over to the house for a barbecue, what does that mean to you? Uh, that means we're going to be, some of us are going to be sitting outside, some are inside, most likely somebody's backyard because I'm in California and not where there's acres and acres of land. Somebody's got a barbecue open. It's either a gas grill or a charcoal grill. And we're thinking chicken, ribs, burgers, hot dogs, potato salad, potato chips, and a bunch of beer and whiskey. Fair enough. The important thing that you said in that is whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. <laughs> Let's go with that. <laughs> not whiskey around a fire, though. Probably not a good idea anyway. 
but the important thing I heard that you said and all that was ribs. So you got the hot dogs and burgers. Great. You got the chicken and the ribs. I think that that kind of stuff is essential to a barbecue. And that's what we think here in the South. We think all of those things, uh, maybe some pulled pork or, or something like that, a little bit deeper into the barbecue pit. But I went to a barbecue. I was invited and got there and it was hot dogs and hamburgers and almost nothing else. And I was like, well, they loosely used the word barbecue to entice us to come over here and then didn't make good on the promise. I, I was disappointed. I'm going to be honest. First of all, you should be glad anybody likes you enough to invite you. <laughs> so that would be number one. They probably invited my wife. Let's be honest. <laughs> if the barbecue is open and on, it qualifies as a barbecue. No, I disagree. Because when you say if the barbecue is open and on, you're talking about the grill, right? We're talking yeah, about a grill. Yeah. I disagree. You do all kinds of things on a grill. That doesn't make it a barbecue. If you throw a steak on the grill, that doesn't make it a barbecue. It doesn't? No, not in the South. It doesn't. Wow. No. Okay. No, not, not my opinion. I'd love to hear other people's opinions on this. But in the South, I think we have a very specific definition of what barbecue is. I mean, because you've heard about barbecue wars between Texas and North Carolina and Memphis and all these people that say their barbecue is the best. And when they talk about barbecue, they're talking about ribs and pulled pork and smoked meats, essentially. So, yeah, for me, I didn't grow up doing that kind of family stuff. That's not what East Indians do on July 4th. Obviously. You know, right. So, but, uh, you know, with Nicole, she did a lot of that with her family growing up. So. Uh, I kind of look forward to it now because Nicole kind of drives it. We go to Nicole's family and friends' homes, and I couldn't barbecue to save my life. We have a grill that I don't know how to do anything on that grill. I just, I can't cook meat. I, I'd rather just go to a restaurant and let the pros handle it. I, I can't figure that out. <laughs> Gas grills aren't too difficult. I can turn it on. That part's not the issue. It's like getting the cooking right. Like, I just can't get it right. I'll tell you, if we ever want to know about barbecuing, we should just hit up our friend from Ages of Rock, Dennis Talbot. That guy's always posting pictures of ribs and chicken and every other dang smoked meat. He must be a professional. <laughs> now, are you a guy that goes to the movies on July 4th weekend? No. No. Okay. Well, our first trivia question is around this. So here we go. You ready? So since the mid-80s, July 4th weekend has been a huge weekend for Hollywood motion pictures. Will Smith and Tom Hanks have starred in several. Can you name two Will Smith movies on July 4th that got released and one Tom Hanks movie? The reason I want you to name two Will Smith is because one is easy. Yeah, of course, the one is easy is uh, Independence Day, right? That was right. it. And I probably, to be honest, I did go see that when it came out on July 4th. I guarantee you that. The other Will smith movie that would have been an independence day release maybe men in black men in black yep so independence day released 25 years ago to the day and men in black released the very next year on july 4th um just to give you an idea of the other will smith movies on july 4th wild wild west which i love that movie but there's a lot of people didn't like that movie i think kevin klein makes that movie i really like that movie and then men in black too which wasn't very good and then hancock Hancock was good. Oh, Charlize was so hot in that movie. Hancock was okay. I've watched it a few times over the years now that it's been on TV and stuff. I like it a little bit better than I liked it the initial time that I saw it in the theater. I think I had preview passes to that movie, like before the movie came out. 
uh, we got some sort of free passes to that movie. So I like it better over the years, but I was kind of meh on that movie. And then I didn't name the Tom Hanks movie, and I'm not 100% sure I'll, I'll go with Castaway. That is incorrect. Yeah. So there was three, A League of Their Own in 92, Apollo 13 in 95, wow. and then nobody would have ever got Larry Crown in 2011. No. League of Their Own makes perfect sense, right? Baseball, 4th yeah. of July. So that's a good one. I love that movie. That's a great movie. All right, so share one of your bands. Okie doke. Well, so let me tell you my approach to this. So the way I approach this 4th of July American Rock Spectacular, as I like to refer to it, was to cover all 50 states. But then Sonny said that I could only discuss four bands. So I said to myself, self, I'll try to cover the East Coast, the West Coast, and the Midwest. Boom. Mission accomplished. I got it. I nailed it. So we're going to start on the East Coast in Massachusetts with William Halislip Squire, better known to you and I as Billy Squire. So Billy was born in 1950 in Massachusetts. Billy was once part of a new act called Piper, which I'm sure KISS fans know were managed by Bill Coin, And they were set to be the next big thing. Circus Magazine called the Piper debut album the greatest debut album by a U.S. rock band. Now, that's a little bit crazy to me. Circus Magazine, settle down a little bit there. Anyway, that was a short-lived thing because Piper broke up after only two studio albums. Billy signed a solo deal, and off he goes down that path of being a solo artist. Best known for tunes like The Stroke, My Kind of Lover, Everybody Wants You, and unfortunately, Rock Me Tonight. That was the song that brought him down. Well, the video that brought him down, I guess. His song, Big Beat, off the first album, is one of the most sampled songs by rap artists. He also had a lot of rap artists that sampled the drum sound from The Stroke as well. Having major success with albums Don't Say No and Emotions in Motion, he's released nine studio albums with Tell the Truth in 93 being his last rock record because he released a record called Happy Blue that was just kind of an acoustic blues record. In my opinion, there is good shit on all those records. I would say start with Don't Say No and Emotions in Motion or this Billy Squire anthology double disc that's out there that has a bunch of his stuff on it. That's probably the best place to start if you're new with Billy Squire. Studio albums for Billy Squire. He's got The Tale of the Tape, Don't Say No, Emotions in Motions, Signs of Life, Enough is Enough, Here and Now, Creatures of Habit, Tell the Truth, and Happy Blue, which he released in 98. That's the last thing he released. I'm a big fan of Billy Squire. I think he's an amazing songwriter, and he's got a lot of great shit on all his records. So I want it to feature him.
Yeah, I don't know a ton about Billy Squire. We've talked about him before. I know the hits. I don't know. Something about it didn't super connect with me where I went deep. And for some reason, like I classify him with bands like the Babies and some of these other guys that there was bands that were coming out in the early 80s, late 80s that I was getting into. But I would hear something, I'm like, oh, that's okay. And then like Warrant would come and I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to go this way. You know, that kind of thing. But so I know some of it, but I just know the hits, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, Billy says he was a huge Led Zeppelin fan. So a lot of stuff, like if you listen to Don't Say No, there's a lot of Zeppelin inspired rock guitar on there. I mean, some of, he's got some great rock stuff. I mean, he's definitely much more than the stroke and Don't Say No. So, you know, I encourage people to check it out. Like I said, start with Don't Say No and Emotions in Motion. Those are two of his most popular records, but there's good shit on all his records. Even records that were as late as 93 with Tell the Truth and Creatures of Habit had good shit on it. Okay, so my first band that I want to share with you, Adrenaline Mob, formed in 2011. You know, they've got three albums out there, studio albums and three EPs. Their most popular album is probably their debut album, Omerta, that got to number 70 on the Billboard 200. These guys aren't super popular, but uh, currently the band is Russell Allen on vocals, Mike Orlando on guitar, Jordan Canada on drums. And right now they don't actually have an official bass player because of COVID. They probably haven't had to go grab one, but I'm sure there'll be one soon. This band's had a you know rotating bass player and drummer for a while because they've had some tragedy in the band. So drummer AJ Pirro died while he was in the mob. David Z, the bass player, died while he was in the mob. You know, it's a, it's obviously a shame. There's a lot of story behind that, but, you know, you can catch that on uh, online if you want to. I will tell you, Russell is an incredible vocalist with amazing range. And if you met him and you just saw a picture, you'd be like, that guy sings? Like, he doesn't really come off as this super-duper rock star. Even on Monsters of Rock Cruise when we saw him, he just kind of seems like a normal dad right? With the beard and the mustache kind of thing. And it's like, that guy's a rock star, but man, when he sings, good Lord. Now he's working in a bunch of different bands just to make ends meet. Mike Orlando's kind of doing the same thing. Very underrated guitarist. He's in a bunch of bands, Stereo Satellite, Her Chariot Awaits. The Mob is, they're basically hard rock, heavy metal with a little bit of symphonic flair, but not heavy keyboards. Like it's pretty much guitar rock, but because Russell has a symphonic flair background when symphony x and some of the stuff he does with tso it does come out in the music a little bit now what's interesting about this band my favorite album by them is actually called coverta which is released in 2017 of all cover songs and man when you hear them do barracuda or kill the king by rainbow or romeo delight by van halen or highwire by the badlands oh my god they are incredible covers goosebumps just telling you this I will tell you, they got some great original songs too. You want to try Undaunted, Indifferent, Falling to Pieces. They even got a Duran Duran cover, dude. That Come Undone cover is amazing. And I had forgotten what it sounded like with Duran Duran. So I went back and listened to the original. Dude, the original sucks ass compared to what the mob does with it. There's no doubt. Dream. 
And these guys actually have some great album art too. But man, is it a bitch to find a shirt with that album art. So you probably have to see them live to get shirts like that. But it's really cool. Like Skullish, Fire, there's playing cards. It's like really cool album art. I've never had the pleasure of seeing them live. I'm not exactly sure why. I don't know how much they tour. I'm sure they play around a lot, but I just missed them somehow. Like I said, I've seen Russell on the Monsters Rock Cruise, and I saw him once in TSO, uh, which he did really well there. And like I said, the band's not super popular, but uh, you definitely want to check them out because the music is good. If you are a hard rock metal fan in the vein of Priest or uh, not really Iron Maiden, although the guitar's Sometimes get there, but there's really only one guitar. It's like a, a heavier Badlands. They're kind of hard to explain, actually, because even Judas Priest, I think they're they're more melodic than Judas Priest, honestly. What do you think about the mob? Explain them. I love the mob, and I've never seen them live. You know, kind of a sad story is that when they got in that accident on the freeway that killed David Z and also killed their tour manager, they were on their way to Atlanta. And I had an interview set up for the podcast in Atlanta, which obviously none of that happened. So I was set to see the band. I was set to do an interview and none of it happened. And it's just awful. It's an absolute tragedy. Uh, And that's what life on the road is. It can be dangerous at times. But I think they're pretty heavy band. You love the cover art because uh, having a shirt like that is perfect for your Vegas trips. Like it's got skulls, it's got playing cards and fire. It's perfect for Sonny's Vegas trips. But yeah, I agree. I would love to have a shirt with that album art. And I think the band originally wasn't the band started by uh, Poitnoy and um, he was the drummer, I think, of the band originally. And um, I know Fozzie guitar player, uh, Rich Rich Ward. Yeah, he was originally the guy that laid down some of the guitar work on that initial EP that they released. I own all their albums. I think they're pretty heavy band. I mean, I would liken it to as heavy as something like off a painkiller from Priest. I don't know that they're any more melodic, but it's good stuff, man. Definitely. You should check it out for sure. If you don't know Russell Allen, you know, you're hearing the stuff. You're like, oh, he's probably got like one of those opera top voices. No, dude, he could do that. That part's not an issue, but most of the stuff he sings with a mob is straight ahead. Like, gritty rock voice with unbelievable range and power. He would be one of the guys I wish I could sing like right now, like that kind of vocalist. He's in the same vein or they're actually in the same vein as him, but the Ronnie Romero's and guys like that, I think that can do the Dio stuff really well. That's kind of Russell Allen, but Russell can also be really clean uh, at times. And so that's what Russell reminds me of and super, super powerful. Yeah, I remember him doing like a Doobie Brothers song. I think it did they do China Grove? I'm not sure what they did on the Monsters Rock Cruise, but I'm like, good Lord, I've never heard Doobie Brothers done that way. Yeah, they did that at karaoke or something, or was it at uh No, I think it was on stage acoustic. A with, uh, a, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so a trivia question for you. I'll give you a clue first. It's not much of a clue. It's not gonna really help. But uh the <laughs> Declaration of Independence. Everybody thinks it was signed on July 4th, 1776. It technically wasn't signed on July 4th, 1776. Hancock and Charles Thompson signed it, but they're only two members of the Continental Congress. That was the draft day. The official copy wasn't signed until August 2nd of 1776. But my question to you is, how many people signed it on 
August 2nd, 1776. I got four choices for you to narrow it down. Perfect. A is 44. B is 48. C is 69. And D is 56. Well, none of those were my guess, but. <laughs> what was going to be your guess? I, I really thought it was something small, like 13, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but uh, because I guess because 13 colonies, maybe that's why I thought that. Yeah. But if I have to go with a number, pfft, why not go with 69? Come on now. <laughs> and that's why I put it there, because I knew you would fall for that. <laughs> the, the, number, the number of people that actually signed was 56. There you go. Why so many? We didn't even have 50 states. <laughs> 13 people. That's funny. That's really funny. I know 13 people that probably signed it. No, I'm kidding. All right. Uh, go to your next band. All right. So we're moving from the East Coast to the Midwest. Formed in 1972 in Chicago. The band Styx has had major success all throughout their career, but really hit their stride in 1976, when they added Tommy Shaw to the band, this became the classic lineup. Dennis DeYoung, James J.Y. Young, Chuck and John Panazzo, and Tommy Shaw. Overall, Sticks has had eight songs that hit the top 10 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100s, as well as 16 top 40 singles. They have sold over 54 million records worldwide and have 17 studio albums. I would say... And by the way, the 17 studio albums is because they're getting ready to release their latest album, Crash of, of the Crown. I would tell people to start with The Grand Illusion, Pieces of Eight, and Paradise Theater, because Paradise Theater was my very first Full Sticks record, and go from there. Their catalog is Sticks, Sticks 2, The Serpent is Rising. Those earlier Sticks records are kind of myth to me man of of miracles equinox crystal ball crystal balls when tommy shaw comes into the picture that's why i tell people go forward from there the grand illusion pieces of eight cornerstone paradise theater kill war was here edge of the century brave new world cyclorama big bang theory uh and the mission from 2017 and the mission's actually a pretty decent later release and then i haven't heard this uh crash of the crown yet so check out sticks all-American band from Chicago, Illinois. Dig it.
I've said it before, Sticks is hit and miss for me. I enjoy Tommy Shaw. Well, let me back up because this is interesting. In Sticks, I enjoy Tommy Shaw better than Dennis DeYoung. Their solo albums, so take Damn Yankees out of the mix. Dennis Young's solo albums are better than Tommy Shaw's solo albums. I don't know what the hell Tommy was doing with his solo albums. I bought them all, and I was so disappointed because I was looking for 18 renegades on those three albums, and I did not get it. No, he's he's much more uh, acoustic, song-oriented songs. Have you heard or did you ever listen to the uh, Shaw Blades record? Oh, yeah, I like that. Hallucination, I have that. That's a good record. Yeah, it was. It's like when Shaw's doing it solo is when it didn't quite work to me. But Dennis DeYoung, his solo album felt like the stuff he was doing in Sticks, just a little less, I don't know, musical theater. Yeah. So it was a little more listenable to me. But uh, yeah, Sticks, there is some brutal Sticks music. Oh my God, there's some of that stuff I can't listen to 10 seconds. <laughs> some of the earlier stuff for sure. Yeah, I mean, listen, I definitely do not love everything they've released but because they've got 17 studio albums there is more than enough stuff to make me a sticks fan and there's a couple of records in there like i love start to finish so that's just me uh with sticks and uh come on they're a brilliant rock band uh in america and they in my opinion they definitely deserve to be in the rock and roll hall of fame but hey who knows so my next band, we're going to move from New York, that's where the mob is from, to Texas. Dangerous Toys formed in 1987, and really Dangerous Toys has four albums. The debut and Hellacious Acres, and debut was self-titled, are probably their most popular albums. Uh, the four albums total, uh, Pissed was third, it came out in 94, and the artist formerly known as Dangerous Toys came out in 95. So, hailing from Austin, Texas, very much a gritty hard rock band. Definite hint of 80s sleaze. After doing some of the episodes we've done lately, I would describe them as a cleaner version of late 80s Buck Cherry. That's how fun they are. The lyric writing is very fun. The vocal, it's unique in its own way. It's probably not a lot like Josh Todd. Uh, the guitar playing, I think, is better in Buck Cherry. That's just my personal opinion. But the melodies and uh, the topics. And subject matter is very uh, Buck Cherry, but there's not a lot of F-words in uh, Dangerous Toys music. Uh, super fun. They're great live. Currently, the band is Jason McMaster on vocals. He's always been there. Paul Lydell on guitar. Scott Dalhover on guitar. Mike Watson on bass. Mark Geary on drums. All but Paul Lydell are original members, and Paul's been around since 94. So these guys have been around. They just don't have a lot of music because Jason does a lot of stuff on the side, broken teeth, some of this other stuff that he's done. The first two albums, the debut released in 89, Hellacious Acres came out in 91, and both actually hit the top 70 on the Billboard 200, and the debut sold gold. McMaster's voice is pretty unique. We've talked about that before. Normally, these type of singers don't hit my ear right, but for some reason, Jason does. It's just enough sleaze to not be annoying. It's just enough of a punk grit feel to not turn off like he's kind of right in the bang zone and right on the edges of what would be annoying to me if uh, that kind of makes sense. My favorite is a debut album. Honestly, all fourth are worth a listen though. A few of my favorite Dangerous Toy songs, Teasing Pleasing, which is just fun, Supporting a Woody. Well, how can you not like a song called Supporting a Woody? Uh, Scared, which is awesome. Gunfighter, Sticks and Stones are probably my five favorite. They had Max Norman produce the first album. 
They had Roy Thomas Baker produce the second album. So obviously these guys had some backing. It's 1989 and 1991. Maybe it's a little too late. Maybe if they come around 85, they do a little better. But uh, obviously somebody thought that they could do okay because of the backing that they had. I've seen them live three times. I saw them open for LA Guns when they first went out. And then I saw them open back-to-back nights on the Painkiller Tour for Judas Priest. They've always been good. I have not had the opportunity to see them over the last 20 years because they honestly, when they play, they hit a lot of these festivals I don't go to. They, I think they've been on a Monsters of Rock, but I don't think I was on that one. And then they go to some of these uh, weird things that happen. Like I think they play Sturgis, but I don't go to Sturgis. And I think they pretty much stay on the East Coast and Midwest. They don't come to California that often. But uh, yeah, check out Dangerous Toys. Your thoughts on our Texas friends here. Man, I love Dangerous Toys. I'll tell you what. I saw them one time in the heyday on the first album. They opened up for Bonham and the Colt. It was it was the cult on Sonic Temple Tour. Bonham was the first band. I think Dangerous Toys was the second band. And I had kind of a little bit nosebleed seats, so they sounded good, but I can't really comment too much on their show. But now, two years ago, I had the opportunity to see them live at Rocklanta. And I'll be honest, man, they blew me away. <laughs> they were high energy. Jason McMaster hasn't lost anything. He came out in a full white, uh, like leather Guns N' Roses Paradise City type outfit with these Elvis glasses on, man. And he did not miss a beat. They were fun. And records like Hellacious Acres and Pissed, they didn't get the due. And it was all about the timing because I go back and listen to those records more recently. And there's some good shit on those records. And I missed those records completely when they came out because I only took in the first record when it was first released. And that was it. And then I lost sight of them. So they'll be on next year's Monsters of Rock Cruise. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, that should be fun. Definitely. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. So we'll take a few minutes out here to recognize the folks in Grown Up Rock's Loud Minority Facebook group. It's a great Facebook group. Come on over to the Growing Up Rock Loud Minority Facebook group. It's a private group in which we talk about the podcast subjects. We talk about topics, music, new albums, things like that. We discuss different things. Uh, and it's just a fun place. We've got a bunch of good people in there. I think we got somewhere around 400, 500 members in there now. And uh, it's just good conversation. Whenever Sonny or I get an idea about an episode, a lot of times we'll post and get people involved in those episodes. Uh, in fact, for this episode that we're doing today, I posted something about, you know, what's your favorite American rock bands? And we got a lot of response on that. Surprisingly, a lot of people love Shinedown. So they, they used Shinedown and Cinderella and Boston and Wasp and Rat. I took the bigger bands like Kiss and Aerosmith and Van Halen and Motley Crue. I took those out of the mix. And that's why Sonny and I, for the most part, aren't really discussing those bands in this episode because everybody knows when you say American rock and roll, your mind kind of goes straight to bands like Kiss and Aerosmith and Van Halen and Motley Crue and Metallica, all that stuff. So definitely great bands, great American rock and roll bands, but uh, I want it to get some different respect. So 
couple of wasps, couple Cinderella. Good fun. Good conversation. Come on over to the Grown Up Rock Loud Minority Facebook group. Answer a couple of rock and roll questions and we'll let you in. So another trivia question. This is all about fireworks, baby. (laughs) How much do Americans spend on fireworks each July? Got four choices for you. A, 10 million. B, 1 billion. C, 4 billion. D, 740 million. Does this include the firework displays that people put on? Uh, Just say Americans spend this much. So I'm assuming so. I'm going to say $1 billion. $1 billion is correct. (laughs) According to the American Pyrotechnics Association, Americans spend $1 billion on fireworks each July. That's a lot of bottle rockets and sparklers, which are supposedly $13 at Walmart if you want some. The APA estimates that price adds up to about 268 million pounds of fireworks sold each year in the U.S., I bet that probably includes like all the little cities that do their firework displays and stuff. The real firework displays, not this Bob and Dom Walmart Roman candle thing. (laughs) (laughs) So let's move along here with my next pick. And Billy Squire sticks are a little bit more well-known. I want to go with a a few well-known American rock acts. But for this particular one, I'm going to go back to the East Coast and I'm going to expose you guys to a band that I introduced you to on episode 134, released back in January of 2020. I interviewed both Chris and Patrick from the band Station. Station was formed in New York in 2011 by guitarist Chris Lane and singer Patrick Kearney. The band, which also includes Ami Asta and Tony Baptiste on bass and drums, the band is a straight-ahead melodic rock band full of hooks and courses. They kind of have that type music that you continue to sing long after the tune is ended. They released Stained Glass in 2019 and have three total studio albums. Self-titled album, an album called More Than the Moon, and Stained Glass. I would just say start with the debut album and move forward. It's all pretty much in line. I think they're just a good straight-ahead melodic hard rock band.
Yeah. I remember when you brought it up a while back, I enjoyed the music. I've listened to a little bit since then. You know, it's not something that I super go to a lot, but, uh, it definitely is melodic and I'm getting used to it a little bit. Cool. What you got for us next? So we're going from little known station to a very, very well-known California short-lived super group called Velvet Revolver. Uh, it was around in 2002. They basically lasted two studio albums and one EP. They were trying to make it last a little bit longer. We'll talk about that in a minute. And they had a number one album, Contraband. Their first album went to number one on the Billboard 200. I'm sure you've all heard about Velvet Revolver in one way or another. Slash on guitar, Duff McKagan on bass, Matt Sorum on drums, Dave Kushner on guitar, and then Scott Wheeland, RIP, on vocals. So basically it's Guns N' Roses plus Stone Temple Pilots plus, well, a Kushner. Both studio albums did very, very well because they both landed in the top 10 on uh, Billboard 200. Initially, the band tried out Josh Todd, who we just talked about, and Keith Nelson from Buck Cherry, because Buck Cherry was kind of a little bit on hiatus when this thing was going on, but then ultimately decided to go another way. So they go to VH1. VH1 helps them film a documentary of all the auditions called The Rise of Velvet Revolver and showing kind of how they decided on a singer. Our friend Todd Kearns had a shot. Sebastian Bach had a shot. Miles Kennedy had a shot, which obviously later has some success with Slash and continues to. Although Whelan turned down the audition after hearing the first demo, the second set of demos got him interested. So they go for a little while. And then of course, Whelan's not the easiest guy to work with. Probably Slash is not the easiest guy to work with. So they have some tensions. They let Whelan go. They try to start looking for other singers. They really didn't have much luck. And then the GNR reunion comes and they're like, you know what? That was the end of that. So my favorite out of the two is actually Contraband, the first album. It sold double platinum, but the second album, Libertad, is worth a listen. Some of my favorite songs by Velvet Revolver, Dirty Little Thing, which was actually co-written by Josh Todd. Slither, love that song. She builds quick machines and let it roll. I had the opportunity to see them one time in June of 2004. I got to be honest, Wheeland was great live. I saw Stone Temple Pilots a couple of times too, and he's kind of got that slithery move thing going. It's it's a little weird to look at. You know, you don't quite know as a heterosexual man how you take this dude, but he had you kind of engaged in what was going on, and you're getting Slash relieved from Guns N' Roses, excited about doing something again with somebody after doing Snake Pit and all that kind of stuff. So it was a great show. But yeah, you get those big personalities of a super group in a room, and sometimes it just does not work well. Your thoughts on Velvet Revolver? Uh, I'm a fan of both albums, and that Rise of Velvet Revolver documentary, you can find it on YouTube. I encourage you to go check it out because it is pretty entertaining. They also tried out Stephen Chirot from Kick Tracy. He's in that documentary. But uh, I never got to see him live for whatever reason. I, I think because at the time Velvet Revolver was happening, I was on the road a lot at that time, if I recall correctly. So schedules just never matched up. So I never saw him live. But I saw Wyland several times with Stone Temple Pilots. So I did get to see him live, but I uh, never saw Velvet Revolver. Both those records have some really, really good stuff on it. I'm a fan of that song Sour Girl, I think, on the second record. That's a good tune, man. There's just some good stuff. Great band. Yeah, and, you know, they hit number one basically sight and scene because of the names connected to the band, mm -hmm. right? So name recognition got them a number one album, really, because when you listen to that album all the way through, nothing really jumps off the page. There's some great songs on there, but there's nothing that jumps off saying that's why they had a number one album. Like, there's not those songs. You know, and every time I go back and visit those albums, I'm always like, God, 
This is a good record. We don't yeah. give enough love to Velvet Revolver on the Grown Up Rock podcast, and I always kind of just forget about them, so I'm glad we're showing them a little love on this episode. Okay, so we were talking about hot dogs earlier. What is a must-have couple of toppings for you on your hot dogs? Chili and cheese, baby. That's it? No, well, it depends on what kind of mood I'm in, but, you know, I like just ketchup and mustard. Uh, really? Yeah. I don't like a lot of, uh, like, I don't like raw onions on my, on my hot dogs because it just, you, you taste them for the next day. Pickle relish tends to give me like acid reflux. So I don't like that tartness. So I'm just kind of a simple, like mustard and ketchup, or, uh, I love just chili cheese and mustard killer. Yeah. I'll go chili cheese and ketchup if the mood strikes me, but like, uh, we had hot dogs the other day. I'm a mayo ketchup, raw onions, celery salt. I had never done celery salt before, right? But Nicole's like, yeah, I try celery salt on a hot dog. I'm like, really? And now I don't eat any hot dogs without it. That's Chicago style. That comes from Chicago style. Oh, okay. Chicago style has the whole salad on there, but the big ingredient is the celery salt. And I'm not a huge fan of Chicago style dogs. Uh, That's just not my thing, but if you say celery salt's a must-have, then maybe I'll try some. So talking about hot dogs, how many hot dogs are consumed by Americans on July 4th each year? A, 155 million. B, 300 million. C, 10 million. Or D, 1 billion. I almost go with the highest number, 1 billion. So that is incorrect. So the next, and then let me get one more guess. I think 350 million was the next highest, right? Yeah. So that one. So not only is that incorrect, that wasn't even one of the choices. It was 300 million. Okay. Well, 300. And that million. was also incorrect. <laughs> 155 million. Yeah. It's a lot, man. I would have expected more than that, but I guess 155 million hot dogs is a lot. And 155 million hot dogs. Costs Americans $104.7 million for hot dogs and another $70.4 million for buns. So it's an expensive eat, I guess. And Sonny will take all those with celery salt, please. That's right. <laughs> now, I will tell you, watching those uh, hot dog eating contests, dude, that's just gross. I can't do it. Me neither, man. I can't, I can't take a hot dog bun with a hot dog and put it in a glass of water and choke it down. That's not my thing. <laughs> All right, so our last two bands are pretty major ones. You go first. All right, so we're going to stay on the West Coast after Sonny took us to the West Coast. I'm going to keep us there. Formed in 1979 in Sonny's favorite place, San Francisco, the current lineup of Night Ranger is Jack Blades, Kelly Keegy, Brad Gillis, Eric Levy, and Kerry Kelly. The band had success out of the gate with Dawn Patrol and kept moving up to the next couple of records with Midnight Madness and Seven Wishes. They sold over 17 million records worldwide. The band is about to release their 13th studio album called A-T-B-P-O, which stands for And the Bands Played On. They've got 13 total studio albums, Dawn Patrol, Midnight Madness, Seven Wishes, Big Life, Man in Motion, Feeding Off the Mojo, Neverland, Seven, Hole in the Sun, Somewhere in California, High Road, Don't Let Up, and the one I just told you about. I would tell people, start with the first three albums and then move to Somewhere in California and High Road and Don't Let Up, uh, which are the last three albums. The band released before the newest one. 
then go from there and fill in the blanks, leaving feeding the mojo and hole in the sun until last. And the reason that I say that is because that gives you kind of where the band came from with Dawn Patrol, Midnight Madness, Seven Wishes. And you got a great mixture of stuff off those three albums. And then these last three albums, Somewhere in California, High Road and Don't Let Up, to me, they're really strong records. So you can see the progression of the band uh, with Somewhere in California and High Road, you get Joel Hulkstrong guitar. Uh, and then Don't Let Up, uh, I think, had Kerry Kelly on guitar. And this latest one, of course, has Kerry Kelly on guitar, if I'm not mistaken. So that's what I would say. The band is always great live. I've seen them numerous times, numerous times, starting at Midnight Madness on through uh, a lot of their tours. And uh, I love them. Every time I see them, they're just so good live. I'm looking forward to seeing them on Monsters on the Mountain, which is the Monsters of Rock cruise on land, basically, in October in Pigeon Forge. Uh, I wish they were on the boat next year, but they haven't been on a Monsters of Rock cruise that I've been on yet, but I know they've been on them before. So that's uh, my thought on Night Ranger. I know you're a big fan. What do you think? Seen them many times, have always killed on stage. Uh, Jack Blades and Kelly Keegan, man, their voices have really not lost much. And you know, they weren't really super screamers anyway, so I think that helped. And they were writing a lot of pop-type songs instead of, like, metal screaming-type songs, which I think helped. Jack Blades is still, like, when he's playing the bass on stage, dude, he's still like he's like a 10-year-old. Mm-hmm. He can't stand still. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's got to be 60-plus now. I did see them on the Monsters of Rock cruise, my first one. They were on the cruise. And this was the band that no matter where you were seeing a band, somehow they would show up on stage. Like, they were on stage with everybody. They must have played 36 times, right? Like that's like Frank Cannon. Frank Cannon seems to show up on everybody's stage. Yeah. Brad Gillis and Jack Blades were showing up literally everywhere. It was nuts. Uh, but yeah, always enjoyed them. Uh, I haven't seen them since that first monsters rock cruise I went on and I think that was 2015. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I would love to see them again. I'm sure they'll tour. Problem is sometimes they go out with like Def Leppard and that kind of stuff. And I'm like, I just want to see night Ranger for 40, 50 bucks. I don't want to see. Def Leppard 2 for another 150 kind of thing. So, uh, but, uh, you know, we'll see. Yeah, Night Ranger's out there already. I mean, they were one of the first bands to get back in the swing of things after COVID. I know that they played probably, I want to say, three weeks to a month ago at SeaWorld. They have these concerts at SeaWorld down in Florida every month, and they played a concert, and it's on YouTube right now. You can go check it out. They got the full show there, and it is Night Ranger, you know, no, nothing different. They are who they are, and so it was a great set, and uh, they did a great job, and I'm sure they're coming to a town near you soon. Yeah, well, we're recording this on the day that California demasked right? So we let masks go today. And when all these concerts started popping up about, Hey, we're on the road, we're on the road. There's not a lot of California dates yet, because I don't think these bands really knew what California was going to do. So by the time this releases though, that will be now two weeks into the future. And, uh, I'm hoping more bands set up pretty well. So we'll see. Yeah. I think a lot of like these, uh, smaller bands, right. The non-arena, non-stadium bands, they're going to get out there and hit the trail quickly because I know from my perspective, they're adding shows left and right here in Atlanta, like to all the venues, to the amphitheaters, to the mid-size arenas, their shows getting added constantly for the rest of the year. Uh, so they're definitely, uh, you're probably going to see that California will be no different. 
And I saw Sebastian Maniscalco added dates today. Like he had announced dates and he came back and added some today. So like every entertainer out there, they're trying to make some of this money back. I mean, there's, you know, and all the venues need the money too. So, you know, I'm out there going to support them, but I can't go overboard either. You know, I got a job, you know what I mean? So, you know, we'll see. Yeah, it's exactly that. I liken it to, uh, like at a rodeo when they've got the bull pent up in the gate and they're just, he's just bucking to get out. That's kind of the entertainers, right? As soon as, as soon as the gate flies open, all these entertainers are going to book all these dates. Uh, and I'm like you, I like, I can't afford every show and I'm lucky enough that I can work some of these shows where I just, and I, I go and I work and I get to see the show, but, uh, I sure as hell can't afford all these shows. So, so the last band I wanted to talk about formed in 1998 in Los Angeles, California, baby black label society. Yes, we are talking bearded Zach. Um, now sometimes black label society is called doom metal. Sometimes it's called stoner metal. If you have never heard black label society, which I doubt that you haven't heard them. Zach's voice is a little interesting. It's very unique. It takes a little getting used to the music carries it through. So it's listenable. It's not listenable to me for long periods of time. I can't go, you know, five hours, just listen to black label society. But man, when I want to get pumped up though. BLS is the way to go. Today, it's Bearded Zach on guitar and vocals, John DeServio on bass, Jeff Fab on drums, Dario Lorena on guitar. They've had 15 or so members over the last 23 years, so it's always kind of a rotating bunch, but Zach is really the key cog of the machine. If you were to look at the mainstream rock charts, 2003 to 2010 is probably where they had the most success on the charts, and those three albums are really Mafia, Shot to Hell, um, and then skip a couple and go to order of the black. And that's really where BLS hits their stride. They're out there on the tour with Judas priest order. Of the black has some amazing songs. It's my favorite album it was released in 2010, got to number four in the billboard 200. I mean, it's got some really, uh, good stuff. Some of my favorite BLS songs, funeral bell, dude, I love that song. Suicide Messiah, demise of sanity, parade of the dead, Godspeed hellbound. I mean, they're they're songs that will really kick your ass and live dude. black label society is awesome. Live Zach is a nut and those meat hooks. He calls hands on that guitar. That's about 500 pounds. When you carry it, it's amazing what he can make that guitar do. Zach's a busy dude. There has been times where he's balancing Ozzy BLS, Zach Sabbath, pride and glory, all kind of at the same time. Seems like a really fun dude. I've never met him but I would love to meet the guy. Uh, every time I've seen Black Label Society live, they do not disappoint. I know you're a BLS fan.
I'm a huge BLS fan. I'm a huge uh, Zach fan. I read his book. He, I just enjoy him. He's a good personality. He's hilarious in his little Facebook post and stuff. He's he's uh, hilarious when he does interviews. He's just a funny dude, uh, and he definitely seems like the type of dude like I would love to just hang out with uh, and shoot the shit. So I would love to meet him at some point. I've never met him. He's an amazing guitar player. I personally don't have an issue with his voice. Like I like his voice. It's kind of that Southerny Almond Brothers feel type to his voice. So I like it. I love the album Blessed Hell Ride, I think is a great record. Order of the Black is probably the last record that I really liked a lot. I don't necessarily, I didn't like, uh, love that Grimmest Hits record too much. They released a box set recently, and I know that they're working on a new album that is done as far as I know. I don't know when it's coming out, but uh, from what I understand, they got one that's done and ready to go. So uh, they're out on tour. They're coming here through. They're actually not playing Atlanta. They're playing Athens, Georgia, which is uh, just up the road about 40, 45 minutes from here. Uh, But like you, I'm not a huge prong and uh what was the other band like uh obituary or something like that uh yeah that's not really my jam so i'll probably be skipping that one yeah tony asked me he goes so we in they're playing ace of spades i'm like dude prong obituary like i'll just wait till (laughs) zach comes back yeah i'm with you there so but i've seen them live i think i might have only seen them live once bls but uh i enjoyed it it was great show so uh, always a Zach fan. You mentioned the book. Uh, I had him read the book to me and I'm not talking about the audiobook. He did a thing here in Modesto where you could go see him. He would read passages of the book, play a few things on piano, do a couple things on acoustic guitar. It was like a story time storyteller type thing. It was great. Really? Yeah. That book is entertaining as hell, especially the way uh, he does it. I actually read it. I didn't, uh, wasn't doing the audio thing at the time that that book came out. So I read it. Heavy metal is for children. I think was the name of yeah, it. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. I would encourage people to go check it out because it is a pretty damn entertaining book the way he tells it. And I guess I have respect for him because I guess he's been with his wife forever and a day, like their childhood sweethearts or something. Barbara Ann, I think is her name. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, he gave up drinking, uh, Several years ago, because he was on blood thinner, pain meds and all that, mm-hmm. and it was messing up his body. And he's like, all right, I'm done. And so, I mean, he was a nut, like he was a heavy, heavy drinker and just to kind of go cold turkey a little bit. That's great. Yeah. So he seems like a, a really grounded dude. I know he's got a bunch of kids and uh, he just seems like he's super grounded and yeah, I respect it. So cool. All right. So last trivia question. And uh, I guess we'll classify this as somewhat morbid. Okay. So you may not know this, but there was one president born on July 4th, but three presidents died on July 4th. Can you name any of them, the born one or the three that died? James Madison. That is all incorrect. You want to take another guess? Um, it's, uh, they're all, are they all uh, not well-known presidents? Uh, two are well-known. Okay. Abraham Lincoln? No. I have no clue. Okay. <laughs> I'm just going to so put the, there. <laughs> so the one that was born on July 4th was born on July 4th, 1872, Calvin Coolidge. Okay. He was the only one that was born on July 4th. The president that ju- died on July 4th, 1831 was James Monroe. Okay. 
But what's interesting is there was a July 4th, 1826, two presidents died on that same day, which July 4th, 1826 is the 50th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. And the two presidents that died that day were John Adams and Thomas Jefferson. Wow, really? That's spooky. That is spooky. That's what I get for selling their soul to the devil. He came to collect <laughs> that shit. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. You know, we got to connect all things to KISS. You wanted the best, but you got the best. The hottest band in the world, KISS. It's time for your historic moment on Growing Up Rock. So for the historic moment, we're going to go with a band called Minefield. I would classify this as a COVID band since all the guys are normally too busy touring to record anything. The members are Brandon Fields, who spent the last several years as a touring solo artist. He's also a lead guitarist in Detroit, Michigan, and the band that in Detroit, Michigan is called Whiskey A Go-Go. Todd Kearns who is the bassist in Slash's band, obviously, and he's done a bunch of solo stuff. He's in the Canadian rock groups Age of Electric, Static and Stereo, and he's also the singer-guitarist in Took, and he has played in Bruce Kulick's band on the Kiss Cruises. Jeremy Ashbrock, who's currently the guitarist in Ace Fairly solo band, and before that he was in the Gene Simmons solo band, and of course he's part of the The Rock and Roll Residency. And then Matt Starr on drums, who's been a staple in a fairly solo band for the last decade. And he also now plays in the supergroup Mr. Big. So you got Brandon Fields, Todd Kearns, Jeremy Ashbrock, Matt Starr, and a band called Minefield. They released their album on May 7th, 2021. Definitely worth a listen. But they did a cover of the Kiss classic from Alive 2 called All-American Man.
What a perfect kiss choice for this uh, 4th of July spectacular. And I love this version. I think they did an awesome version. I love the tune anyway, so that's probably part of it. But I love the version they did. And I got to be honest, I was waiting for this Minefield record to come out because I liked the songs that they had released before it. I just didn't know that the record had come out. And so when you told me this was happening, I went and checked it out and it's really good. Like I'm excited to spend more time with it because I only got a quick run through, but the first run through, I was really like, yeah, this is, this is killer stuff. So I'm looking forward to spending a little bit more time with that record and picking it up. Yeah. Talk about a good dude. Todd Kearns is a good dude. Meeting them was great seeing what he's doing, how he's involved. He doesn't have this huge ego, right? And he killed his Paul Stanley tune, which there's not a lot of guys that can pull Paul Stanley off, but we knew he could do that because we've seen him do that on the Kiss Cruises. And the guy likes staying busy, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So yeah, uh, I'm excited uh, to check out more of this Minefield record. What a great band, Jeremy and uh, Matt Starr and Brandon Fields and uh, Todd Kearns. That's a, a great band right there. So nice little episode, uh, you know, talk about a few American bands, some not so popular, some popular, some lasted two records and that was basically it and, uh, some hits in there for sure. Yeah. A uh, great episode for you to sit around your pool, barbecue, some hot dog hamburgers and make sure there's ribs and chicken. So that's officially a barbecue. Make sure you keep your fingers away from sparklers and don't try to light too many at one time, like my dumb ass. And uh, make sure you uh, throw the cherry bombs over the fence uh, in the neighbor's yards. Don't leave them in your yards. And don't flush them down the toilet either. That's bad news. Have a safe July 4th. Thanks for listening and keep the feedback coming. Yankee Doodle Dandy, people. Enjoy. Happy 4th. See ya. Later. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys. You will
Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.